I definitely agree about Westbrook. I think his contract is horrendous. But the only team that I can see taking his deal is the Knicks. Why? Because of the fucking Knicks. Welcome back to the Getting Buckets podcast. I'm Ethan. I'm Matt. I'm Jordan. And we're going to start off today with some breaking news that Rockets GM Daryl Morey has stepped down from the job. And, you know, I thought Daryl Morey did a really good job while he was there in Houston. He got to the playoffs 10 times out of 13 years, and they went to the conference finals twice. And against the Warriors both times, and they almost beat a loaded Warriors team. If not for Chris Paul getting injured, they probably would have won that series. He was one of the first GMs to bring analytics to the game and integrate it into team building. And we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later if he succeeded in that or not. But, I mean, every other team in the NBA is now trying to copy his blueprint. So uh, he was successful to some point. So I was very surprised with this news. I'm kind of curious to see what you guys think. Yeah, you know, I really liked the way that the Houston Rockets kind of made up their team. They had they have a generational talent with James Harden since 2012 and have been building around him since then. And when they had Chris Paul on their team, that really was their best shot. That was their that was when their championship window was wide open. So you know, usually teams, when they have a guy or just in general, there's a certain amount of years that you have with a core in order to compete for a championship. And for some teams, you they they never just break through. It it just it just happens. There are other teams that do it better. There are other teams that just, you know, win the championship and, and beat them and it happens. So I don't really see this as a failure by Daryl Morey. It's just that the Rockets at this point have kind of run their course with the current core that they have. Looking at the rest of their team, Westbrook came in to go and replace Chris Paul and that contract that that three year hundred thirty two million dollar contract is something that I'm looking at that the Rockets will want to offload pretty soon. They they don't really want that to stick around on their books for many more years and potentially if they want to continue with their current core with James Harden, then they have to do something about that contract because they aren't going to be able to sign anyone else. But I, I really do like the way that the Rockets built their their team. They were the the first team that really, you know, one of the first teams really that emphasized three points and layups only they there was there was one year where they basically just didn't take like any mid-range shots which compared to just 10 years prior it was just unheard of but i i think that the rockets if they do some moves i think that they can get a few more contending years just from james harden's uh talent alone they they still he's he's still in my opinion a top five player in the nba and you can still win games with that you can still win playoff series with that so it's it's not completely over but it makes sense that that Maury is out 
and maybe they're going to go in a slightly different direction. They kind of double down with the with the the small ball with the three points and layups only by trading away Clint Capella Gennings, you know, guys like Robert Covington, but maybe if they do a slightly different makeup around James Harden, I think they can still be pretty successful. Yeah, Matt talked about the Westbrook deal, which is just an absolutely horrendous contract. I understand that it wasn't really a Dara Mori driven move. It was more Harden not getting along with CP3 and just wanting him gone and wanting to play with one of his best friends. And also Tillman Fertitta, the new Rockets owner, who for some reason thought that Chris Ball had the worst contract in the league and decided to trade it for the, maybe the second worst contract in the league, which didn't really make sense to me. Also, they gave up two first-round picks and two pick swaps, to OK, pick swaps to OKC. And now, like Sam Presti has turned Chris Ball into an asset and might be able to get a couple of picks out of him, which is just incredible. And... You know, Maury was a really good executive, I think, but the writing was kind of on the wall for him once Fertitta took over the team because most owners who come in, they want their own guy who can just have control of the front office and bring in his own head coach. Even D'Antoni, he was there before Fertitta came in. And like Ethan said, he heavily integrated analytics into the sport. He really introduced it at a high level where... They were super against like deep twos and mid-range shots. Like Harden really never took any of those kinds of shots. It was all three-pointers and seeing like PJ Tucker play center. But I don't I, I like I wanna see Westbrook off that team as soon as possible. I really prefer that it won't be the Knicks that go for that contract. That would just be a disaster. But don't be surprised. They're, they're, they've I don't I don't know many other teams that would just that would take on that deal just because how poorly Westbrook fit there and like he's turning 31 yes he's a former MVP but he's not I I don't see him as a like like he's not a ceiling raiser he's just he's a floor raiser where like he can take a bad team in especially in the east and maybe turn them into a seven or eight seed but they aren't getting past like you know once KD left Westbrook what did he have he Westbrook's had three first round exits and then one second round exit against the Lakers this past year. Like he really can't take, you know, a team on his own or even maybe with a, a B level star next to him in a, to a finals. Yeah, I definitely agree about Westbrook. I think his contract's horrendous, but the only team that I can see taking his deal is the Knicks. Why? Because they're the fucking Knicks. So it wouldn't shock me at all if the Knicks traded for Westbrook's contract and, they got a couple of years where they get they make the sixth seed and all Knicks fans everywhere are going to be cheering for them finally making the playoffs. And then it's going to be really funny because the Nets are going to be so much better. But <laughs> but I was honestly like kind of shocked about Daryl Morris stepping down because he really was a trailblazer. He really did set like so many standards that so many NBA teams follow right now. I think I, th- I think the biggest thing for Mori, like not past the something I forgot to mention, past just having a new owner in place, it was it, w- it was the the China tweet that really hurt him. Like I remember reading a couple days ago that a lot of executives felt like once he sent that tweet out, it was inevitable that he was gonna like step away from basketball for a year or two, just because it had so much. It hurt the NBA so much losing those ratings from China, where they bring in a ton of their money, and they had to apologize and help them out. Um, you know, with COVID-19 and stuff like that, sending well messages and 
it just like Maury doing that while he, you know, he took a stand for having democracy. He really just, he hurt himself as a, as a basketball executive. I wonder if this is, you know, this may be a bit of a conspiracy theory, but do you guys think that Adam Silver pressured the owner of the Rockets or pressured Daryl Morey to step down? I don't think so. I think the NBA repaired their relationship with China enough. It seems like, you know, they they added them back streaming, I believe, for game five of the finals. Mm-hmm. So that deal came back into place, and it was reported more that it wasn't the Rockets' owner firing Maury. It was more that just Maury wanted to step down and take a year or two away to either look into new opportunities or just take a break and spend time with his kids. Yeah, well, I it actually wouldn't have shocked me if Adam Silver forced uh, Daryl Maury to step down because I remember when he first came out with that tweet, and I remember the first thing Adam Silver said is that, that they don't support what Daryl Morey said. So it wouldn't shock me because, yeah, the China let them watch the g- game five, but the Rockets are China's team, or they were because of Yao Ming. So it, they definitely lost billions from that tweet from Daryl Morey. So it really would not shock me at all if Adam Silver forced uh, Morey to step down. You know, you never know what happens behind closed doors. Uh, you never know what happens behind the scenes. It's kind of the same. It's kind of the same story as when Michael Jordan, quote unquote, retired that first time. There, are, you know, rumors to this day that it was David Stern that actually wanted to suspend him, and just for PR purposes, he goes and quote unquote retires. It could be the the same thing that Daryl Adam Silver whispered to Daryl Morey that you need to step down. We can't have you be on the Rockets because, as you said, Ethan, the China does like the Rockets the, the most. It seems like they, they like the Rockets and the, the Lakers. They're, the, the Chinese people are also huge Kobe fans. So Adam Silver, being a great NBA commissioner as, as he is, maybe he was like, okay, in order for the NBA to increase their, their ratings, to increase the, the money that they, they pull in, it makes sense to kind of nudge a problematic GM out of the way and make room for a new guy to come in to turn around a franchise that that definitely at this point has their championship window closed shut with their current makeup with the current direction that they were going. Something I wanted to ask you guys that just not not related to China, but just the Rockets uh, roster construction is if they decide to move off Westbrook and when they hire a new coach and promoting Raphael Stone, who was their assistant GM for a lot of years, I don't know what his plan is in terms of the roster, but if they were to move Westbrook away, maybe that would affect Harden's relationship with the new regime and how many more years can Harden go before he eventually gets frustrated and wants maybe a new beginning and to really try to win a championship and say, I'm tired of putting up the statistics. I just want to go to a place where I can win. How many years do you think before a situation like that can arise? Well, let's see. So James Harden has three more years on his contract. Yeah, he has two years at $85 million, and then he has a $47 million player option for 22-23. Okay, so with that information, I'm going to say that this year – I don't think there's going to be any rumors that he wants a, a trade. I think he's 
going to try just as much and put his all into this season, especially if they especially if they do some sort of moves around him and get a, a better a better um you know a better roster surrounding him but i would definitely not be surprised if the year after this one we start to hear some rumors a la anthony davis a la paul george just like how a lot of guys like to force out trades near the end of their contract nowadays yeah and the Clippers have signed Ty Lue to a five-year deal. And this also was kind of shocking to me because it was a five-year deal. Obviously, I'm not surprised that they hired Ty Lue because he was an assistant. But five years is a long time, and I, I don't know how they're so confident about Ty Lue because there was a point where he actually couldn't even coach because of his health with that LeBron team in Cleveland. So he's going to have a lot of pressure on his shoulders with the Clippers to win a championship because this is a win now roster as it's currently constructed. Now, we do know that Chauncey Billups and Larry Drew are expected to be top assistants, but do you think that this really moves the needle for the Clippers? Because there have been rumors that the Clippers actually want to blow up the roster, so I don't know how productive it even was to hire Ty Lue because if they blow up their roster, they have no chance of contending for a championship. So I'm kind of curious to see what you guys think. I think that this is, you know, you can't necessarily say that Ty Lue was a better coach than Doc Rivers, but I think they just, they needed a new voice in there. And having someone like Ty Lue who knows Paul George and knows Kawhi Leonard and has experience coaching in the NBA, especially with someone like LeBron James who had constant championship aspirations, he knows how to coach under those types of situations. So I feel like this was a good fit for the Clippers. Like I said, I don't know if he's going to be that much of an upgrade over Doc Rivers, but just with a team that under had so much turmoil in terms of the bubble and like either not wanting to be there, Lou Williams dealing with the whole strip club incident, and you know some rumors about Kawhi living in San Diego during the regular season and. Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, and Montrez Harrell being upset about it because he would be late for team flights and miss practices and stuff like that. So I just think they needed a strong voice in there. And having Ty Lue, instead of like maybe like a young new coach who, like, like a Chauncey Billups, if they hired someone like that, I, I don't think that would have been the same kind of feel. Yeah, I have a slightly different take on it. I have said on this podcast at least a couple of times that a good coach really makes a difference for a team. A good coach brings a team that's good to the great status. And the reason why that is, is because talent is one thing, but when a team starts to lose, when there's a run that's made against them by the team that they're playing on, for example, it falls on a leader to be able to rally the guys back together. And if it isn't in the Clippers case, for example, uh, Kawhi Leonard has shown that he is not really that guy. He's not going to be the the guy that calls the rest of the the team out. Paul George, we all know, isn't going to do that. Patrick Beverly, it seems like he wants to be that guy, but no one respects him because he's a a little ass dude. (laughs) And I don't think that Ty Lue achieves that goal for them. I, I am not so convinced by Ty Lue's coaching pedigree, 
I remember the last year in Cleveland uh, in 2018, Le- uh, LeBron's last year in Cleveland. The players, the players looked unmotivated. There was it was lazy defense. Is very simple offense, very little off ball movement, lack of adjustments. Just over the the course of a, a game, over the course of weeks, months, it, it was it was a stagnant team. And granted, they had LeBron James, and granted, they didn't have a super talented roster surrounding him. But I think that Ty Lue could have made it, or rather, a coach could have made a bigger difference. And Ty Lue has not been that guy. I don't. I don't think. I I think Ty Lue is one of those guys that is kind of got lucky by getting that championship lucky in the sense that he had LeBron on his team like honestly if one of us three were a coach during one of the LeBron years like we could have a championship too because that's just how good Le- uh, LeBron is he's he's basically a coach also he is that leader he is that guy that can rally a team back together when when times are tough so I- so so I don't really think that Ty Lue is going to I don't think he's going to move the needle towards a championship much more than Doc Rivers could have, and therefore I think that the Clippers kind of messed up on this signing. But my thing is, who's like I, I agree with you in some respects. I don't think Ty Lue is this amazing coach. I don't even think you can necessarily he's a good coach. He's probably mediocre to average coach in today's NBA. But the thing sure. is, who 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 are you going to hire like instead? There's not that many real names out there. I mean, there's Jeff Van Gundy, but he hasn't been a head coach in almost 14 years. Stan Van Gundy seemed like he was focused on the Pelicans job for a while. I mean, he he got hired. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So I just I just don't know what other names were out there that really would have moved the needle for them. It was clear they needed to get rid of Doc. Like that just blowing that 3-1 lead and that wasn't his first time doing something like that. We talked about that on a previous episode, it just, it, it needed to be done. Steve Ballmer felt that way. There were reports that Ballmer just wanted to get rid of everybody, the entire coaching staff and some of the players, because he was so pissed off at how things turned out. You know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to be playing on one-year deals next year. So there's gonna, they're going to be under a ton of pressure to win. And I just I just don't know who that guy is outside of Ty Lue that really would have been that strong name in there. Well, I looked to the Toronto Raptors two years ago when they hired Nick Nurse. No one knew who he was. He had a lot of success in the G League, uh, but no one knew who he was. I, I didn't know who he was, and I, I would say it's safe to say that most basketball fans didn't really know who he was. And the thing is, the Raptors, their, their front office, when they were interviewing for coaches, they saw that he knew his stuff they obviously felt that he knew his stuff enough that they offered him a position so even though the coaching market right now seems like there isn't a lot of guys that's that's what the interviewing process is for that's what it's for to find the guy who's the best for the team and it seems like from an an outsider's view Ty Lue isn't the thing that the Clippers need yeah I agree I'm not really that convinced about Ty Lue as a head coach either. I mean, yeah, as you said, he won that championship with LeBron, but LeBron makes a lot of bad head coaches look good, so I don't really know. It's gonna, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see how it's going to look. But as Jordan mentioned before, Stan Van Gundy has signed a four-year deal to become the Pelicans head coach, and Stan, he hasn't coached in a while. 
the, I think the last time he coached was like 2015, I think, with the Pistons. It was he got fired in 2018. 2018. So okay, but he coached that young Heat team to like one game away to go into the finals. Mm-hmm. He coached, he coached the Magic to the NBA Finals, and he also would, was a pretty good coach with the Pistons as well. And he has a pretty good winning percentage over his career of 523 to 384, and he's only missed the playoffs four times in his 12 uh, seasons when he's coached. So. I actually think it was an excellent hire, in my opinion, because he has shown that he can coach young teams and improve them. And that's exactly what you have right now with the Pelicans. But there are some question marks with the Pelicans roster. Like, what are they going to do with Lonzo? What are they going to do with Brandon Ingram? There's been rumors that Drew Holiday might get traded to the Nets. So there's some roster issues that have come up with the Pelicans and... It was always the big question with Zion of how healthy can he stay because he's an elite talent when he's on the court, but he's just not on the court, at least in his rookie season. So there is some worrying issues here. But I think that it was excellent hire. I think that he's going to be a, a good de- developmental coach. I think they're going to be a good team. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs next year. Maybe in a year from now they have a chance. But, yeah, let's see. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, Stan Van Gundy absolutely was a perfect hire for them. As you said, he's shown that he can coach young guys and coach young guys to success. He did it twice. He did it once in Miami and once in Orlando back when he was coaching the Heat from 2003 to 2005. That 2005 team, it was with Dwayne Wade and Shaquille O'Neal. And Dwayne Wade, it was his, oh yeah, it was his second year in the NBA. And he was, it was, he was like 1A, 1B. The, the next year, in 2006, when the Heat ended up winning the championship, it was uh, Dwayne Wade was the, the clear number one. But that 2005 run, that was, that was really cool. And Sam Van Gundy really was a huge part of that. Moving forward to his time in Orlando, when they the Magic made that 2009 run, Stan Van Gundy led a group where Dwight Howard, he was 22 years old. It was his fourth or fifth year in the NBA. And also, more importantly, and this is something that definitely falls on both the the coach, the the front office, they were one of the first teams that had a dominant big man, but also four guys on the outside. That was how the Orlando Magic played, and that's what they rode to that finals run, where you have like like Hito Turkoglu and Jameer Nelson out on the the three-point line, and only Dwight Howard down in the paint. And that's that's something that's still even used today. The the Magic were one of the the first teams that that started that four out one guy down low style of offense. And I think that the Pelicans as a whole they have a lot of talent. They have a lot of talent from top to bottom. Zion Williamson, as you said, is an elite talent. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, he stays healthy. Brandon Ingram, fantastic. One most improved player this year, averaged 24 points, six rebounds, four assists, great splits. They have Lonzo Ball, who took a huge step forward. Drew Holiday is is fantastic, fantastic defender, as as we all know. Uh, imagine now if the Pelicans end up trading Holiday to the Nets, for example, and also get back like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, their team is stacked. Their team is stacked from top to bottom, and I wouldn't be surprised, assuming that Zion stays healthy, that they make a playoff run next year, especially especially with Stan Van Gundy at 
the helm. And you know that a coach of that caliber will come up with a good system for young guys to prosper and to grow in. And if, if all goes well in New Orleans because of this hiring, I, I could see like a 45-win season for them. I, I don't think that 45 wins is out of the, the question for the, the talent that's on that team, especially if the rest of the guys take a step forward. You know, it's Lonzo Ball, this is going to be like his third or fourth year. Brandon Ingram is like third or fourth year. Zion Williamson, this is going to be a second year. So these these guys are young. These guys are, are due for further improvements. And I think that Sam Van Gundy was the right man for this team. I mean, I, I agree with Matt. I think if everything goes right for New Orleans next season, they can definitely be a playoff team. They have the right pieces in place. It's like the main two guys. Um Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. The biggest thing for them is going to be can Zion stay healthy because I think if he can't, they're going to fall into the same issue that they did this past year where they bottom out as maybe a 10 or 11 seed and they end up back in the lottery because Zion is such an elite talent. I mean, he averaged 22 and a half, six rebounds, two assists, and even sh- like it was a low volume, but he shot 43% from three, which is kind of surprising, 58% from the field. 64% free throw. He needs to work on that a little bit because he just he's so good at getting to the line and drawing contact. Brandon Ingram, he's going to be a restricted free agent this summer. Uh, not not this summer, this offseason because COVID. It's not the summer anymore. It's his he his max is worth five years, 167 million. I think he is absolutely worth money like that. Matt said one most improved player, 24 six and four. He shot 39% from three. 85% from the free throw line, those are, and 46% from the field. So he's clearly, you know, taking that really big step forward that everyone expected him to once he got away from LeBron because he's more of a guy who needs the ball in his hands to be successful. And Whoa, he do you do you do you think that everyone ex, um, expected that? I I definitely wasn't expecting to see Ingram put up the numbers that he did personally. I mean, I, yeah, I, there was maybe, 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 maybe not everyone, but I was I was expect not maybe not this big of a jump. Yeah. But I, I was expecting him to take take a big step forward because I think the biggest thing for him was, like I just said, LeBron like maybe helped him in a lot of respects, but also he hindered him because he's just one of those guys, he, when you saw him without Zion on the floor, that's something he needs to work on, being more effective with Zion and him on the court at the same time. It just When he has the ball in his hands and he's orchestrating the offense, I feel like he can be like a 25-5-5 and kind of guy. And he clearly has that talent. He showed a little bit of it in L.A. And he clearly, I mean, the, David Griffin coveted him in the Anthony Davis trade for a reason. And people kept saying Kyle Kuzma is, you know, the P- Lakers fans for some reason. I don't know why. We're so excited. They kept Kyle Kuzma. and like, But Brandon Ingram was the main sucks. piece there. Yeah, no, Kyle Kuzma shit. Yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 that was it. But, yeah, that, just, you know, Brandon Ingram is – that you know was that guy in the trade obviously they got all those picks as well Lonzo Ball I'm a little bit concerned about it was only seven games but he really struggled in the bubble with you know 28% from three 31% from the field averaging like four turnovers a game he really didn't look good but in the regular season his outside shot like you said Matt it did improve a lot 38% on a high volume He, he put up six threes a game so that was really nice to see and obviously we know he's still a really good defender I'm not concerned about Lonzo Ball on the bubble. Like, the bubble was a very unique situation. And, you know, maybe some players weren't prepared to go. Like, I'm not concerned if a player wasn't playing well in the bubble. Like, in the regular season in NBA arenas, he was playing extremely well. Also, playing very well right before the season came to that pause. He was had, like, several games where he had, like, almost, like, 
20 point and 30 point triple doubles uh, like several in several games back to back so so, so let me uh, one second let me just ask you this if let's say the the pelicans do trade uh holiday because we expect that he's going to be involved in trade rumors throughout the offseason do you feel comfortable with lonzo ball being the full-time point guard going forward for this team yes i do because he is an elite passer a top top three or top five passer in the NBA right now. Yeah, he does have to work on sometimes where he has to be a little bit more aggressive, for sure. But he's improved his outside shot a lot. As you said, it's 38%. I think that yeah, he can actually be yeah. a great point guard in the NBA. So I, I think that if he has the helm, I wouldn't be concerned. He is going to have to take a step forward. He is going to have to step up to fill in that uh, that hole that would, that would be after Holiday would be traded. But I don't think that's out of the question for a guy like Alonzo Ball. He really improved significantly this season, and I don't think it's out of the the question that if Holiday is gone, that he can increase his numbers, increase his production to fill that in and have the Pelicans be a good team. Uh, I, I also think that Holiday realistically will probably be traded for at least a, another guard that could bring up the ball as well. So I don't think it will end up being where Lonzo is the only point guard on that team. But if that situation happens, I, I think it's it's not it's not improbable that Lonzo Ball would be able to fill in that role for them. I, I totally agree with you. I think it's I think the Nets, like Ethan talked about, I think they're a really good fit for Drew Holiday. He's would fit in really well as that third star kind of, you know, he's not really that maybe all-star level player that he used to be, but he's still a really good third piece. I don't think someone like a Bradley Beal, you know, he's been the most talked about when you look at the Nets, but I don't think he's a great fit for that roster just because he's another ball-dominant player. With Holiday, you can have another guy next to Kyrie Irving who can defend really well. He would easily become their best perimeter defender, and he could still, you know, take the take uh, some of the orchestrating away and let Kyrie do what he does best and, like, put the ball in the basket. Because Holiday, clearly, what he's averaging seven, six assists, the last few years so he you know he could shoot a little bit he shot 35 percent from three this past year i think if they like you said probably someone like a dinwiddie or a lavert would go back to the pelicans so he they could share point guard duties with lonzo ball and i think that i i think that could be a win-win trade for both sides there's some other fits with the nuggets the sixers and the bucks where they really need an, another piece to compete for a championship but i i you know you guys are big nets fans obviously so i, th- I i'm curious what you guys think about possibly bringing him in there Look, it would be absolutely heart-wrenching to see two of because I don't because I don't think the Nets would give up or really should give up Karis Spencer and Jared Allen, but it's probably going to be two of those three. It would be personally I would hate to see them go because those are three of the guys who when we were rebuilding, starting to rebuild a few years ago, they were the guys from the beginning. And they've they've grown, they've prospered under the Nets program, and I personally would hate to see them go. If we, I don't know, I I really don't want to see it, but I think it can work. I I think that Drew Holiday would be a good fit for the current roster with KD and Kyrie and the rest of that very talented team. Uh, I I don't really want to see it happen, but. I can see that the Nets would be just as good, if not better, with Drew Holiday. Yeah, like you said, the two, the 
three, it's probably going to be Dinwiddie, Allen, and Levert. I think Allen's a goner in that trade just because yeah. KD and Kyrie, like DeAndre Jordan's their guy. I mean, you really right. saw the first move they made when Jacques Vaughn was hired was inserting DeAndre Jordan in the starting lineup. So that's clearly their guy. I think if they were to trade Dinwiddie instead of Levert, they would probably have to give up an extra pick. If it was it was, if it was Levert and Allen, maybe they could save one of those draft picks just because Levert is the more value trade piece there. But right. I, I I think that that trade, like you said, it could definitely work. I I would like the move. I I agree with that. It would be hard to see either Spence or or Karras go because when we were in the shitter, especially Dinwiddie, he was there on like in the, when we were at our worst. Um, he was only one of the bright spots, and you just see him improve every year, and just like really embodies the Brooklyn Nets culture. It would be really hard to see him go, but to bring somebody like Drew Holiday would really improve our defense. And that would that would just be like a championship caliber move to bring in uh, Drew Holiday into the team for sure. For the next topic, I actually just want to completely disqualify Jordan from saying one word <laughs> because he is a, a diehard Knicks fan, and he has. Absolutely no objectivity when it comes to Chris Asporzinis. So That's not true. That's not. So, I can look at this objectively, unlike you so, guys, some, so some Jordan, of your Knicks takes. So, Jordan, you're not allowed to speak in this topic. So, a couple, I think it was almost two weeks ago, Chris Asporzinis underwent meniscus surgery. And this is kind of like a red flag because, you know, he's a seven-footer who has knee problems. And... For every other seven-footer who's had knee problems in NBA history, that just has not gone in their favor. So we know he, he tore his ACL, he tore his meniscus in the bubble. So it's just really heartbreaking to see for Mavs fans. I mean, Jordan's probably happy about it because he hates KP, but... That's that's just not true, man. It's not true. All you're, right. throwing this, you're throwing this on me, I promise you. It's it's definitely tough to see. All right, but, but, but go ahead. He has a lot of. He got a mass contract. He has four years, one hundred thirty million left on his contract. Uh, he hasn't played like over sixty-five games in like two seasons. So it's pr- pretty concerning if you're a Mavs fan. And uh, he's a really talented player. In the playoffs, if he didn't get ejected in game one, they probably would have beat the Clippers in the first round. So he definitely improves their team, but. Do you think that the Mavs should maybe try to look for a second star instead of Chris Hasmorzinius because they're really so unsure about what the future could bring for him? Well, if he ends up having another injury-riddled year next year, I don't know what the timeline is going to look like following this meniscus surgery. Is is he is he on track to still play next season? Do you, do you guys know that? I think probably. I mean, it would be. I mean, it it, it like depends. It depends on when the NBA season starts next year because there's it's ranging from anywhere from Martin Luther King Day to early March. So you just don't really yeah. know what the schedule looks like at this point. Well, I I feel like it's gonna the NBA season is gonna end up being like in that mid to late January start uh, start time. I don't, I don't think it's gonna go much further than that. But let's say that KP does come back whenever he he does and he stays healthy and the Mavs make a bit of a run, maybe they get to the the second round. I don't think they have to go in do any immediate panic moves and offload KP because he has a huge contract. He has an injury history, so the Mavs wouldn't be able to get a significant amount back. And not only that, they'd probably have to give up some more things as well to just get him off the 
team. So hopefully for them, uh, he can stay healthy. Hopefully for, for them, he can help them to make a deeper run than they did this year. If they I, do that, I, I think that if they do that, I don't think the Mavs have to be too concerned about his health going forward. I, I totally agree. I think they need to keep him on as their number two star. But that's like besides one thing happening, and this is the only way I could see them possibly moving off of him, is if they get they land that big fish next year, Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, he's going to be a free agent. Dallas has been talked about as a spot for him along with the heat and the Raptors in addition to the bucks who are, you know, but there's a lot of issues there, but look at, look at Doncic is clearly one of the best players in the league. He finished fourth in MVP voting in his second season, which is just incredible to see. He's probably the best young talent in the league since LeBron James. You know, I don't think we've ever seen a guy like who can do stuff like 29 points, eight rebounds, nine assists in his second year. That's pretty incredible. But you know, if they land, Giannis, you have to consider moving KP maybe for some picks and a couple of players that can deepen their bench because I think if you just you have those yeah, two, definitely. If you if you have those two, you're immediately in in there for title contention. I don't know what the Lakers will look like a year or two from now, but you're right there at the top of the West just having those two alone. Yeah, no, I mean at that point, if like in two years the Mavs have Giannis and Luca, I think that the they have an argument that they have the top two players in the entire NBA at, at that point. Oh, yeah. They, they, they'd they be like championship contenders for like at least five, six years, however long those Instantly. guys are under contract. Yeah, it would, it would probably look pretty similar to the Lakers team that was this year. Like LeBron and AD are, you know, at, at least top five guys together. And... Uh, I, I think that the Mavs would kind of have a similar makeup as as long as they can surround them with a good enough roster, it, it would be a pretty similar uh, team. Yeah, I mean, listen, the only, the only difference is LeBron's 36 and AD is 27. Here you would have a 21-year-old Luka and like a 27-year-old Giannis. So that, that, right, that so group could be there for a long for much time. Longer. Yeah. We talked about the Warriors a little bit last episode. I already said my piece that I don't think they're going to make a finals run, but I, I think that you guys have a different opinion. And we do know that they have the second overall pick. So what do you think they should do with that pick? I mean, I, I personally, I'd love to see them go after someone like a James Wiseman, someone that they could develop and turn into like that center that they really need. Because if you look at the West, I mean, it's going to run through the Lakers and the Nuggets. We saw how good Denver was. This past year, when they made us, you know, they made those three-one comebacks, and then put, you know, even though it was a five-game series, they put up some pretty good fights against the Lakers. So they're going to be a force. They're a force to be reckoned with for at least the next four or five years, having Jamal Murray and Jokic under contract, and then obviously Anthony Davis, who was the second best player on a championship team that had LeBron James. So he's going to be, you know, right there for MVP contention for the next few years, and they really need a center to just complete that roster because I don't think having someone like a Willie Cauley-Stein or Marquise Chris at center is really going to cut it for them. You know, maybe they would trade that second overall pick for someone like a Vucevic or maybe a Miles Turner just to get that big body in there because having Draymond Green at the five, I don't. it worked for them a few years ago when they had Kevin Durant along with Curry and Clay, but now that he's gone, I just I don't think Draymond would cut it as a five. Yeah, so assuming... I think that for the Warriors long term, if James Wiseman ends up being a really, really good player, 
it makes much more sense for them to just draft him if they have the opportunity and roll with that. The thing with that, though, is they're a win-now team. If James Wiseman is a guy that needs work, that needs some years to develop, it makes more sense for them to trade that number two pick, trade James Wiseman if they end up drafting him, and get a more established center like Miles Turner or Vucevic. We saw in the playoffs at this point in the NBA in 2020, having a tall, talented big man like Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic, that can carry your team very far. Uh, at this point, with the Warriors' current makeup, uh, Steph Curry, Clay, Draymond Green, they're all older. I'm not so convinced that their current makeup will be able to compete as deeply as they as they once did. They also don't have Andre Iguodala anymore. He, you know, early in their in their dynasty run, he was huge for them. He was absolutely huge for them, and they don't have that. They don't really have that deep bench like they used to. They they Yeah, they they have Andrew Wiggins, who's a very bad defender, one of the worst in the NBA. So I think I think that their scouts are gonna have to make a tough choice. Their scouts are gonna have to it again if they you know James Wiseman could be taken number one, but assuming that he comes to number two, the scouts are really gonna have to do a real hard look at whether he is ready to help them compete. If he's not ready for that, then they got then they really have to trade him and and help out their stars, their their star power, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson to compete now, because they they aren't gonna be able to do the same things that they would be now and what they did a few years ago in two or three years when a guy like James Wiseman would be ready. It it doesn't work on the same timeline. I mean, you, you I I agree with what most of you're saying, but. You know, the, the topic talking about that their guys are older. I mean, yeah, they they made a four to five year finals run. They were a dynasty. But, you know, Clay, Clay is just turning 30. He turned 30 back in, I think, March. And right. Steph, and, and Steph is and 32. In three years. Right. And and what are they going to be like in three years? How old are they going to be in okay, three years? Well, I, I, I thought you were talking about more just in the next year or two where I, I think they could still be competing for finals. I mean, Clay had it is by the time yeah, the next no, season yeah, starts, yeah, yeah. he's going to have a year and a half off like fully recovered from ACL injury. Steph basically had the entire year off. He broke his hand and missed the majority of the season. Right. Draymond had those nagging injuries. So I feel like, you know, they're going to be fully ready to go as opposed to like teams who made a deep run like the Lakers who might have a little bit of a finals hangover just because the break is going to be probably a little bit shortened in between the off season. It's they're saying Martin Luther King day. So it could be around three months. So I don't. I feel. I feel like the Warriors, if they added, like, like you said, a James Wiseman, or maybe traded for someone, they could. They could make a, a serious run in the next couple of years. They could still be competing for finals. Um, I'm not discounting that they still can make a serious run. Uh, I don't think that they have enough firepower to compete with the Lakers and the rest of the talented Western Conference. I I think that the Nuggets, if the with with their current team, I think that the Nuggets would be able to beat the Warriors in a seven game series, and if the Nuggets could could do it, you you damn know that LeBron and the Lakers would be able to do it too. So, James Wiseman, assuming that he can help now, 
then then yeah, by all means, that that's way better for the the Warriors today and long term. But if he's not ready to help them compete now, their championship window it is closing. It's not it's not as wide open as it was a few years ago. As you as you said, Steph is thirty two now. In three years, he'll be thirty five. Clay is thirty now. In three years, he'll be thirty three. Draymond Green is probably around the same age as well. So trading that James Wiseman player or that number two pick to a team that really needs it, that works on that same timeline for a player who's mid-career, who's in their prime, like Vucevic, for example, or Miles Turner or whoever, that, that helps them compete more now. You know, also, regardless, imagine James Wiseman, as as good as he is, he would be bullied much more by Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic than a guy who has been in the NBA for a few years and has that experience, especially later in a playoff series as well. Yeah, no, I I agree with everything you guys said. And it's definitely going to be a interesting situation to monitor and we'll see how next season goes. But thank you guys for listening to the Game Buckets podcast. Follow us on Twitter and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Yeah, it was fun recording with you guys. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time.